Hello, I'm your host, Melissa Druskis, Board Certified Behavior Analyst and owner of ABC Behavior Training. Thank you for joining us today on episode nine of Behavior Crew, where we are talking about the steps to effective supervision for BCBA candidates. If you're not familiar with ABC Behavior Training, please pause now, go over there and check it out at abcbehaviortx.com, where we have tons of resources, videos, articles, pretty much anything that you can need as a behavior analyst. And as we are talking about supervision today, I do also offer supervision for supervisees uh, with my team of BCBAs that use a structured curriculum with lots of unrestricted hours, group supervision, and more. I also offer mentorship to BCBAs that are interested in starting to do supervision. And I have a full supervision curriculum which is really unlike any of the other curriculums that are out there. It is far more than just a guide. It is a full curriculum that includes comprehension questions, uh, applied assignments with grading rubrics, um, things that they can do with their clients. It gives you links to resources for all the topics, and it has 30 units covering all areas of the task list to make sure you can go through the whole thing and if you are a supervisee, this is going to prepare you to pass the exam, uh, pretty much learn all of the task list with conceptual knowledge and hands-on knowledge. And if you're a supervisor, it's going to save you so much time because you're not going to have to spend any time planning and figuring out what you're going to do in your next supervision meeting. It's all already planned for you. So today, let's go ahead and talk about the steps that are needed to provide effective supervision for BCBA or BCABA candidates, trainees, students, whatever you choose to call them. Uh, so I'm going to go over some information that's you know related to me as well, but I found a lot of this is also covered in an article by Helvi et al. 2021, uh, Recommended Practices for Individual Supervision, considerations for the behavior analytic trainee. Uh, so you can find the reference to that below in the, in the comments here of this podcast. So you can take a look at that, but I'm going to kind of be following along with that, but also go along with, you know, my own experience as well. So if you are new to providing supervision or you're a supervisee and you don't really know what supervision should look like, uh, or maybe you've been doing supervision for a while and you don't know if you're doing it effectively, uh, this is going to be a really helpful guide for you. Uh, so before you start supervision, there's a few steps that you need to make sure that you are doing. So um, before you even sign a contract or anything like that, you should meet with the supervisee and make sure that they are a good fit for you, that you're a good fit for them, that your schedules match up, that you have the ability with your current caseload to actually take on a supervisee. So that is step number one. Um, the supervisee should also make sure that the supervisor has um, you know, taken the coursework to be able to provide supervision to them. Uh, you can check that by going to the BACB website, looking up the individual, and there is a like 
checkbox or indication on there saying that the supervisor is able to provide supervision that they've taken uh, the training that's required for that. So all of those things need to occur. Uh, you also need to make sure that the supervisee has started a coursework program uh, because again, if they are not in their ABA coursework yet, then none of their hours are going to count. So that's really vital as well, just to make sure that all of that is straightened away before you even start to look at a contract or anything like that. Now, as a supervisor, if, you know, a lot of times people think when they're working for a company, if one of their people that they have are going to school getting their BCBA, like you kind of almost feel pressured that you have to provide them with supervision. It's a part of your job. And it might be a part of your technical job title, but you still need to make sure that you have that ability to provide the supervision to this person and that you're a good fit. Um, because if not, it's it's not going to work. If you don't have the time to provide supervision, then how are we going to provide effective supervision? You definitely need to make sure that all of that is set. Then moving on, you need to have a contract. So no supervision should occur before a contract is signed. Uh, this is a requirement beyond just my opinion. Uh, it is a BACB requirement that there is a contract uh, available that is signed. The contract should be really clear as far as the responsibilities for each party. It should go over any fees that are associated with supervision, um, the, any criteria that would lead to termination of supervision, uh, any criteria in which the supervisee or the supervisor is not going to sign off on the monthly or the final hours. So all of that should be really, really clear in your supervision contract. A lot of times people don't really think of, you know, well, what should I put in there if I don't sign off on the monthly hours or if we end up stopping supervision? But sometimes you don't know what you're getting into. Like you might anticipate that you're going to have somebody that's doing the work that is, you know, behaving ethically, but but you don't know. So you want to make sure that you're protecting yourself and that's in there. So sometimes uh, that I would have in my contract of why I might terminate the supervisory relationship is that I have uh, evaluations that I conduct with my supervisees every quarter where I, you know, I want evaluations from them. They're evaluating my performance, but I'm also evaluating their performance. And if there are things that score below a certain criteria and it's repeated over, let's say, two consecutive evaluation periods, then we may look at putting them on probation or terminating the supervision, depending on the severity of it. Now, of course, we should always go in with the intent to correct these issues, but if we are attempting to correct these issues and they're not being corrected, maybe it's not going to be a good fit for them to continue on with supervision. And same with signing off on your, uh, the final verification form especially. I've not had too much trouble, uh, actually I've not had too much trouble not signing off on forms, but there have been a, maybe two times where I've not signed off on a final verification form and it wasn't due to the fact that they didn't have enough hours, but because they were not demonstrating competencies. So I have my whole curriculum set um, unfortunately, I've had some instances where like continually 
things were not being done or they weren't being done correctly. And then I didn't see any attempts for them to go back and do it correctly. So, you know, over time, if you are not demonstrating that you are understanding the task list and the skills needed to be an entry-level BCBA, then you really need to think, should you be signing off on those hours? Now, we don't need somebody coming out of supervision and, you know, being an expert in, in everything. Of course, that's unrealistic. But we're signing off on those hours stating that this individual has the entry-level experience to go into the field as a behavior analyst. And if they don't, if they are not really showing any of these skills, then you need to question whether you should be signing off on those hours or not. And that is pretty individualized as far as what you're doing. But if you do decide to not sign off on a form, then you should absolutely have something in place, some sort of corrective procedure so you can get your supervisee to the point where you will sign off on the form. And then within that contract, you need to be keeping that for at least seven years uh, or whatever your local requirements are, but it would be a minimum of seven years. Now, once I complete that, um, I also do an orientation for my supervisees. Um, I have kind of like a orientation type thing on my website on abcbehaviortx.com. Uh, and it's called Intro to Supervision. It's under Products and under the Supervision tab. So you can make your own orientation. Um, I just, instead of doing it and repeating it over and over again, I made it into a video, and now I share that with everybody as well. But you have to have really clear expectations on the ethics code, the BCBA handbook, the task list, um, I've realized you shouldn't just expect that somebody is going to know that or have read that information and understand it coming into supervision. Because even if they've read the handbook, I've had many BCBAs that have read the handbook and there's still some um, items that are not really clear. So you want to make sure you are going over all of that with them. And that should really be one of your first supervision meetings that you are setting the expectations for them so they know what is expected of them, what they should be expecting from you, and also really all of the expectations from the BACB regarding our ethics code, regarding what they should be learning in the task list, and what things are going to count for their hours and supervision and all of that. Uh, again, just setting those really clear expectations so you don't have any communication or you know issues later on down the line. Now, in the article that I referenced earlier, they also talk about creating a positive and committed relationship. So you are likely going to be your, you know, your supervisee's mentor uh, for a couple of years, maybe just a few months. But typically that's, if they stay with you the whole time, it's going to be a couple of years. You're going to be somebody that they're going to come back to even when they become a BCBA. So it is really important, just like we pair ourselves with our clients, we need to pair ourselves with our supervisees as well. Um, make sure that we understand the nature of this relationship. Um, make sure that we remain professional, but that we're also available. And when we are giving feedback, because we should be giving lots of feedback. You're taking somebody who, you know, maybe have has no experience in ABA and you're shaping this person to become 
hopefully a competent and confident BCBA at the end of it. So you really need to make sure that you're making an effort to utilize soft skills, um, to utilize, you know, behavioral feedback, using behavioral skills training, being objective, all of that to create this relationship with your supervisee that is going to spend years and really take them into their professional career as a behavior analyst. Then when it comes to the supervision itself, um, again, this is why I created a curriculum uh, because it's really hard to do this individually for all of your different supervisees that you have. Um, sometimes it can feel like you're going into supervision and you're maybe winging it a little bit or just hoping they have something that they need to talk about that you can go over with them. Or maybe you're just focusing on the you know, day-to-day -day aspect of the clients that they're working with. And while that might be helpful in the moment, we have to remember that our goal as supervisors is to grow and expand the skills of your supervisee. So if you are doing something where you're just kind of focusing on their clients, especially if you're doing this in like a uh, ABA clinic type setting where you're going in, most of your supervision is about the clients that they're working with. Um, you're kind of just overlapping it with the client supervision and there's not much else going on then we're really limited on growing their skills. So it's really important for us to create some sort of structured plan for supervision. That's where I have my curriculum. Uh, even if you don't want to use my curriculum, totally fine. If you go to my website and click on BCBA curriculum up at the top, one of the tabs up there, you're going to see if you scroll through it, uh, the sections that I break my supervision curriculum down on and what every single unit covers. So you can look at those topics and create something similar. Have a plan of what topics you're gonna start with, where you're gonna go with your supervision, and make sure you're covering all areas of the task list as you move through all of this. Now we still want it to be individualized for your supervisee. If you know they have a client who's coming up with an authorization and they need to do a VB map, but you're not really at that section yet, if they have the ability to you know, assist with the VB map, then you can adjust it and cover that with them, absolutely. But there needs to be a structure there because if we just go in and we're just signing off on hours and talking about what's going on with their clients right now, the likelihood of them getting the experience with everything that they need to get experience with to become a behavior analyst is very low. They're likely not going to end up doing all the things that they need to do. In addition to having this sort of organization, you also need to be checking their competencies. And again, that's not just talking about it. That's not just, you know, like very informally observing it in a session. Like you should have a structured method for evaluating their performance and evaluating if they are competent on the skills that you're training. Um, again, what I do is I have basically like when they start a unit, regardless of, you know, what that topic is, let's say that they're, they're starting with measurement, one of the very early topics that we talk about. They're going to start with some articles to read, videos to watch, some sort of material to refresh their memory, or maybe they haven't even talked about this yet in school. So it gives them some uh, content, some something to learn about beforehand. And then they're going to complete a comprehension assignment based off of that information. So that's going to be 
kind of like test questions is what you can think of, but some are multiple choice, some with measurement might involve calculation, some might be like, just tell me about this, like answer the question open-ended, um, but whatever it is, they're going to have a way to demonstrate to me that they have the knowledge of the concept, they understand the concept. Once they show that they have that comprehension, next is the applied assignment. So the applied assignment is when they're actually going to go out there and practice their skill with their clients. Now, I primarily do remote supervision, so I'm not right there watching them do it. So I utilize, um, you know, video feedback a lot. So they record practicing this skill with their clients, and then I go back and review it for them. Um, but all of that, all of the applied assignments go along with a rubric. So I'm not just watching and being like, yep, that looked okay, good job. <laughs> um, there's actual structured questions that go with it um, that I am scoring that either no, you did it, you know, yes, you did it completely, or, you know, you missed a few steps, like whatever that is. There's like actual numbers to rate each one in the rubric, and then it's broken down kind of in a task analysis of what it is that I am asking them to do. So there's a whole system in place for them to show me that they understand the material and that they have the applied skill of it. So they have that comprehension piece and they can show their competency to me. And then at the end of every section, because I have four different sections, I have them take a mini mock exam to show me that they can generalize this information to questions that are not related to their clients specifically. Uh, and then they also have, uh, which I have them fill out every quarter, is a competency evaluation. And basically what they're doing is they're ranking themselves on each task list area that we covered in that section. And over time, you should see the skills increasing and increasing as they go along. By the time they're done with supervision, I would ideally like to see the whole thing filled up with the maximum skills for all task list items. So, you know, regardless of what you're using, you need to make sure that you have that. It's really, really important, not just for you as a supervisor to make sure that you're organized, but also for the supervisee. We owe it to our supervisees. We owe it to our field to put out behavior analysts that have had the best quality of supervision so we don't have these issues of, you know, people seeing ABA as a negative thing because there's bad practitioners out there. We should be making a supreme effort to make sure that whoever is entering the field that, you know, that we have provided supervision to, that they are the highest, at least very high quality uh, going out into the entry level. Again, we are not expecting perfection, but we're expecting them to at least be competent in their job in an entry level position. And then we have providing feedback and evaluating the, the effects of supervision. And that's actually one of the ethics codes as well, is that we're ethically required to be evaluating the effects of supervision. So I talked about how I'm assessing competencies throughout the supervision experience, but that's part of the feedback. Like I'm giving feedback on all of those things throughout for the applied assignments, comprehension assignments, all of those things. And then I have supervisee and supervisor evaluations, like I mentioned with the contract. Every quarter, I'm evaluating the supervisee based off of their performance, but I am also seeking that evaluation from them. It's really important to make sure that we are seeking feedback on ourselves 
Because if, if we just assume that everything's going great and we're not actually checking, it might not be. Um, maybe we are teaching in a way that is confusing to them. Maybe they want more feedback or feedback in a different manner. It's really important to make sure that we are doing that and also creating this relationship with the supervisee and feedback so that they're comfortable with receiving feedback and giving feedback because the whole part of our job is shaping behavior and it's really going to start with them as well that they need to be able to utilize feedback and make those changes as well as give feedback and expect those changes. And we also want to make sure that we are talking about ethics. So I have sections in my curriculum that solely deal with ethics, but this is an area that you do not want to leave out. Um, and you also don't want to just wait until there's an ethical issue that you, okay, hey, let's use this to talk about ethics. Because what if in that time there aren't any ethical issues? I mean, hopefully not. We don't want to wait for something bad to happen to then train what to do. It's something you should be talking about and role-playing along the way. And you also want to talk about the importance of professional development. So they are learning a lot from you through supervision, of course, but you also want to encourage them attending conferences or professional talks, uh, even maybe online conferences if you know they don't have the funds to travel somewhere. And even though they're not getting continuing education for it, it's still really vital to start this habit of professional development, uh, as well as reading journal articles. So that's a part of my supervision experience is reading journal articles. Uh, and that's, that's something that you should include as well. I even actually include some conference presentations in my curriculum so they can have that experience of you know, what is a conference talk looking like uh, and experiencing that professional development. So definitely consider that as well. And if you are working for a company or own a company, you can even check and see if those can be funded because this is a future behavior analyst. And even though they're not going to be utilizing the CEUs right now, it would certainly make it a lot easier for them if it was funded to maybe attend one conference, um, maybe even just something local once a year so they can get that experience. And then the final thing we want to talk about is the continuation of the professional relationship. So now it is required that if there is a BCBA that wants to provide supervision and they have been credentialed for less than one year, they have got to seek mentorship and have that mentor uh, to provide supervision. So you may continue your professional relationship through that mentorship. But even if not, if you don't meet the criteria for being a mentor or if they aren't providing supervision in that first year, it is still good to continue meeting on maybe a less frequent basis with your supervisee to help them enter the world of a professional behavior analyst. Because even if they're working as a RBT or a behavior tech, that's a pretty big shift going from that position, which is very entry level to the supervisory position, and we don't really have some sort of in-between in our field. So if you can continue that mentorship afterwards, then that is going to set them up for even a better success as they go out and they're going in to enter the field. So 
Um, all of those things are really vital to think about as you are moving into providing supervision, whether you're new, whether you're experienced, as well as if you are a supervisee listening to this, making sure that you are getting all of those things. Uh, definitely make sure that you are advocating for yourself so that you are getting the best supervision possible because it's not just going to harm you if you're not getting effective supervision. Um, maybe you're getting signed off on your hours and that's the most important piece is what it seems like right now as you have that bank of 2,000 hours you know you need to earn. But you also want to think about your future clients that you're going to be working with and your future success. And it's very important that you have that support system that's actually training you and growing your skills and moving you forward as you go through your supervision process to ultimately become a behavior analyst. So go ahead and check out that article that I mentioned. Um, also, I'm going to include a link below here that you can use to download a supervision checklist that can also help you um, just understand what you should be doing at the start of supervision, uh, what you should be doing on a monthly basis, uh, and what are the responsibilities of each party. Uh, so you can utilize that to really start supervision or just to check uh, where your supervision is at this point if it's, if it's meeting all of the necessary requirements. And if you've not read the BACB handbook, um, for either the BCBA or BCABA, please go do that right away. Um, I've talked a lot about the requirements here, but you also want to make sure that you're reading that and staying up to date on the current requirements and that everything is, um, is where it should be in the supervision process. Thanks for hanging out with me today as we talked about uh, the steps to providing effective supervision, and I will see you guys next time. Thanks.